It's another episode of the Would Recommend Podcast, the culture podcast by me, your friend, Nick Ratliff. Uh, thanks again for everybody that listened to uh, all the previous episodes or some of the previous episodes. Um, if you have not listened to our most recent episode of the main format of the show, uh, that was with friend of the now friend of the podcast uh john marzette a great guy um very knowledgeable about everything we talked to uh, uh talked about lots of uh, hip-hop talk on that one so if you're a, a hip-hop music fan um that is um that is one you'll definitely want to check out um i talked about my experience going to see the band the midnight hour uh, with Ali Shahid Muhammad from A Tribe Called Quest, formerly, and Adrian Young, who is super talented in his own right. Um, again, I can't plug that album enough. It's called The Midnight Hour, and they have a new single out called Harmony. So uh, check all that music out called uh, The Midnight Hour. So um, follow us again on social media. We're at Wood Recommend Pod on uh, Instagram. And uh, would recommend podcast Facebook page. Uh, give us a follow. Give us likes. Please do that. Tell your friends. All that good stuff. Um, on Apple Podcasts, uh, rate, like, and subscribe. That would really help out the podcast uh, with Apple Podcasts algorithm. And uh, if you're on other apps, we're on basically everything else. So yeah, with all those plugs out of the way. Um, my guest is somebody very important to me. Um, some of you who listen may know her, um, because she's kind of been my, my PIC, my partner in crime <laughs> her whole life. Um, her name is Hannah Ratliff. Bonjour. My sister. <laughs> Hi. Uh, it's great to be here. Um, you've been my partner in crime, like I said, the whole you know your whole life most of my life um and we love to talk about our favorite pop culture stuff yes. which is what this podcast is yes um and i'm constantly you know we're constantly like giving them music and podcast recommendations and talking about you know tv and books and yeah. all the good stuff um so you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself sure um well i've said many times to my friends and this is not just a, a compliment for the pod but it is true um i think my taste in music which you know i fancy myself to have pretty good taste um was founded in large part by your recommendations when i was that's very middle and high school um so we definitely have an affinity for the same sort of things even if our interests have diverged a little um yeah so um some of you probably know me um as nick's little sister uh i was also born and raised in kansas city um i moved all day (laughs) that's right (laughs) um i moved to lincoln nebraska to get my undergrad degree was there for four years um the last two and a half i've been in the atlanta area 
um, working on my graduate degree. Um, so this May, uh, I will finally be done with school, uh, fingers crossed, and will graduate with a Master's of Divinity, um, which sounds a lot cool cooler than maybe it sounds is like in reality. A wizard. It does a bit, which is misleading. Um, yeah, so after that, I hope to work in a Presbyterian church, um, but uh, that is not, you know, theology is not <laughs> my only uh, place of interest. So um, arts and culture have been really formative to me, and I think that they definitely have a place being integrated into worship in particular, um, even in more sort of subtle ways. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I have been really shaped um, by some of the things I'm going to talk about today. And our parents were big influences on us as well. Yeah. Very creative people with really good taste and stuff. Yes. Very affirming, encouraging people. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Shout out to Kim and John as well. <laughs> Truly. We love you. Um, so you've also, like, I, I've always thought you were a very talented, like, visual artist and stuff. Thank you. Like, crafty. You would make jewelry and paint and yes. do all sorts of stuff. There were a of lot stuff. of phases. I can't <laughs> do any of that. Um, but you have, like, you've recently started sort of getting back into that as a hobby and you have a, an Instagram page, right? Yes. Um, so sort of as like a incentive for myself to just sort of keep up with um, creating more regularly because um, it's something that I always find I feel better once I've done it, but I don't make time for it necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I started this Instagram page mostly for my friends. Um, it is... Uh, Hen Rat Creative, um, which is from a nickname from one of my best friends in college. Mm. Um, yeah, so that has been mostly, um, I have been working with like watercolors lately. Sometimes it's like pencil illustration, um, just sort of whatever is on hand and I feel like using. It's it's a really fun follow, so follow it. It's at Hen H E N Rat Creative yep. on Instagram. So check that out. Um anything else about you? Nothing more to plug, I don't think. I mean, I'm a pretty online person. She but, is. She's funny on uh, Twitter too. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, I don't really have none of my uh None of my professional life is out there for consumption online. Yeah. You're so. at Hey It's Han on Twitter? Hey It's Ham Bone. Hey It's Ham Bone, yeah. yeah. I'm <laughs> realizing now none of my usernames have my actual name no, in them. No, but they're fun. Yeah. I'm at Mr. Nick Ratliff, which sounds really too formal. Kind of I a think. Mr. Rogers-y vibe. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you want to get to our picks? I'd love that. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, I can kick us off. Yeah, go. Um, which category did you want to? It's your your choice. All right, cool. Um, so in terms of albums, mm -hmm. um, I think this might come as kind of a surprise. Um, okay. Most people who cross paths with me know me as the number one Maggie Rogers fan in all of America. 
Um, and so I thought that might be kind of predictable uh, mm. for my time here because I give Maggie a lot of airtime, and, yeah. and rightfully so. I adore Follow her. her on social media and you'll um, get enough of it. <laughs> and <laughs> but we love Maggie. Yeah, we stand for Maggie. We really, really do. <laughs> um, yeah, so I thought everyone kind of already knows how much I love her, so I'm going to bring something else that I don't talk about quite as often. Okay. Um, but I do think is start to finish kind of a perfect album. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is Melodrama by Lord. Um, okay. Yeah. From 2017. So it's been a couple of years. Um, word on the street is she's coming back with a new album soon. But it is her most recent. Um, and it was her sophomore album. So she was uh, coming up on the heels of all that success that she had with Royals. Um, And I think allowed herself a little bit more freedom to sort of play um, after this like tremendous pop uh, stardom Mm -hmm. sort of befell her. Um, She, uh, as most people know, is from New Zealand. Um, She was pretty young when her first single dropped. I think maybe 16 16, or 17. Um, And so... A lot of her music does sort of deal with like this sense of um, feeling like youth is this like prescribed, like you have to be having fun all the time and you have to be um, enjoying your life and partying because you are young. And she's kind of an old soul in the way that um, some of her songs sort of reject that or just question it. But I would say, um, like, revisiting Melodrama, I thought about the ways that that album is about sort of solitude. Um, The lyrics really reflect a lot of that. Um, But it's still, like, super danceable. Like, it's very contemplative and at times even, like, kind of lonely and sad. But still, like, the majority of those tracks are just, like, certified bangers and so like holding the tension of those two things I think is so impressive and I really don't think there's a song on that album that I don't like Mm -hmm. Um, which is you know there's something to be said for that it's pretty impressive Um, yeah so I think I have this real affection for her um, as a woman who is you know close to my own age I think she talks about things um, from a point of view that I find really relatable. Um, and I also just have like a lot of really happy memories, um, attached to that particular album. So the single from that green light, um, came out my senior year of college. And I just have this really vivid memory of, um, driving around Lincoln, uh, Nebraska with a car full of my friends listening to that song and just like, shouting it at the top of our lungs mm-hmm. um and yeah it's just really it's attached to this like very specific and special part of my life um and so i just have a real a real appreciation for it um i, I think she's so gifted i have that same affection for little secrets by um <laughs> passion pit passion pit yeah. yeah my freshman year of college yes yeah. that is a very specific time and place song yeah Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I did like a little bit of poking around online about this album, um, preparing for today. Um, and 
yeah, like I mentioned, a lot of the lyricism there um, is sort of reflecting on not always loneliness, um, Mm -hmm. but definitely on this idea of like solitude um, and self-consciousness, which sometimes does um, veer into feeling uh, too alone or too isolated. My my last guest, John Marzette, uh, one of his picks that it was kind of more of a loosey-goosey episode. We didn't have like each come up with three we kind of just moved from different topics yeah um and he talked about um frank ocean's first release which is they he called it a mixtape it was before channel orange mm-hmm. and it's called um nostalgia ultra which is really good if you haven't listened to it um but he talked about like frank was like on the forefront of like that idea of like it's okay to be sad yeah. it's fine to be sad, sad sometimes <laughs> yeah and which is like what a lot of like the really good pop is right now yeah. like it's like really fun and dancey like you said a lot right. of the time but like you listen to those lyrics yeah, and you're like damn yeah. and that's exactly what that is and like this album is too. Yeah, yeah i yeah. couldn't agree more mm-hmm. um and she also i think she also speaks to like this idea of self-consciousness um and just feeling uh there's a there's a track where she talks about um being a little too much for her friends and Mm -hmm. being a little too over the top and not feeling um not feeling wanted by her friends Mm -hmm. um and so yeah i think it's just like incredibly poetic she has like a powerhouse voice um the like the diversity of sound in that album is really remarkable but it still feels like cohesive. It feels mm-hmm. like one thing. Primarily produced by Jack Antonoff, who people know from Bleachers, Fun, mm. bunch of other stuff. He's got like a solo career. He's produced so many like good like poppy, yeah, indie albums. He's like got the magic touch. He's like one of the biggest producers out there. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I also saw um, in an interview, Lord uh, talked about some of her influences vocally are like Kate Bush, um, Sinead O'Connor. Um, so like some of these greats. And I think some of her sound does kind of harken back yeah. to like a more 90s, 80s even. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's a really, like, beautiful, fascinating listen, but it also, if you don't have, like, the emotional capacity to dive deep into those feelings, it can also just be, like, some fun songs. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, I'm really impressed with that album. I think she's incredible. That's awesome. Um, do you have any, uh, like, standout tracks from it? Uh, like I mentioned, Greenlight um, mm-hmm. is just really like attached to this like very specific um memory of like friendship and savoring like these last moments of my college experience um which was really special and um I fun fact about me I don't I've never had a sense of smell, and I know a lot of people who say that memories are very tied to smell, and so Mm. I think in a lot of ways I compensate for that by 
attaching sound or music to memory for mm-hmm. me. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I just remember um, like really savoring that moment. Um, uh, the other one that I mentioned um, was Liability, um, where she talks about feeling like she's a little too over the top, like her friends don't really want to spend time with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's another one, uh, Hard Feelings slash Loveless, um, that has, like, I think Paul Simon is, like, featured in the It's from the Graceland, yeah. I think. She, uh, it says here on Wikipedia that she was very inspired by that by the album Graceland. She would listen to it on the subway and in taxis in New York City and became very inspired by that to create this album. Also, Leonard Cohen, Joni Mitchell, and Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. I think yeah. it's really interesting like hearing that from her mm-hmm. to look back at the album now. Um, another one that's more of like a fun dancey track I would say is Perfect Places um, which is still sort of like wry and um, not sarcastic but Mm -hmm. like there's this element of like kind of bleak humor to all of her music that I really appreciate Um, but that's a fun one if you're like dancing alone in your apartment Mm. Um, yeah I listened to this a lot when it came out because everybody did yeah it was one of the best albums of that year i admit i have not revisited it and so i would I say it's definitely worth it. need to yeah. yeah definitely need to um but it is good from, yeah. from memory yeah i will sure. i feel almost legally obligated to give an honorary mention to my dear friend margaret rogers mm-hmm. um Heard it in a past life. It's came phenomenal. out in January. Yeah. Um, it's everything about it is just like yeah. Speak on joyous. it. I mean, just <laughs> speak yeah, on that. <laughs> just talk. Just talk about it. But, yeah. Because you I know, won't... not everybody will know that you love her sure. so much. Yeah. Um. Well, I don't want to double dip and no, cut into your it, time, it's but fine. um. It's, yeah, I could talk about her all day. <laughs> um. So she has uh really tremendous body of work for how new she is to the scene um so heard it in a past life came out this past january um and uh she actually released a new single last week um it's very good it's extremely good um but heard it in a past life uh which came out after her ep um is really like its own body of work um, and you can tell that there's just like so much attention and care to detail on that mm-hmm. she also talks a lot about um, like on social media she'll talk about the production process um, and since she was a student at NYU, NYU yeah. um, like focusing in musical production she's very savvy to all those things and so just thinking about like the incredible attention to detail that is there in like mixing and producing every track is amazing. She's also worked with fan favorite uh, Rostam, uh, who produced Mm. a couple of her tracks. Formerly of Vampire Weekend. Good Lord. That Mm -hmm. man has touched pretty much every musical endeavor I've ever loved. Yeah, he's a genius. He's a powerhouse. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, this album is just like, it's so vivid. Um, it's so like 
gut-wrenching mm-hmm. and joyous and like celebratory and she just has like this ethereal quality to her voice the music videos are like breathtaking um she just has this real like beautifully developed sense of self yeah. that really comes through in her music um and i just yeah she's she's a star the um <laughs> So how the kind of the world became aware of her mm-hmm. was when she was still at NYU. Yes. Um, Pharrell Williams, who's touched a lot of things right. that I love right. too, um, is like one of the best producers we have on earth right now. <laughs> um, he came to her, one of her classes, like her basically like capstone, yeah. I think class who the, her teacher is Bob was Bob Power who produced my album pick from last episode and my other favorite hip hop album of all time um, he produced um, The Low in Theory and Midnight Marauders by A Tribe Called Quest which are my two favorite hip hop albums and two of my favorite albums period wow um yeah so Bob Power also worked with Questlove at NYU he worked he's worked with that guy's a legend yeah he um so yeah bob power was her teacher but um he picked like a handful of students to play music right. for pharrell and she played him alaska yeah which was her ended up being her first single off of the album right and which was like this crazy breakout in yeah. at least in the indie and world what's amazing is that video came out what a year and a half at least before the album oh yeah more. that was 2017 yeah and it that song is like the same as what was on the album like she had it fully fleshed out yes there is like this very clear development of um like she knows who she is yeah um which is not to say that she isn't capable of evolving um and i think there are like the single that she dropped recently is like a slightly different like it's a nuance on Mm -hmm. the sound that she has cultivated but yeah she it's all her own and if you watch the video with pharrell he's like i have no notes this is not like anything i've ever heard before and it's true i mean she's able to blend like she's talked about this before (laughs) i feel like a real real fangirl right now um we're getting into it yeah (laughs) um she has talked about um she had like this very clear like folk influence from yes. growing up in rural Maryland um, I think she learned how to play the harp um, yeah, yeah. and, uh, and banjo. became very yeah. proficient in banjo and guitar and so the origins of her sound were like kind of there she also has um, one of her uh, pre like producer like record label label um, recordings is on SoundCloud from when she was like in high school, really? which is also it's much folkier, but it's really lovely. Um, yeah, so it's I feel like it's a lot of that combined with um, like this clear love of like the natural world, um, and also she throws in like these nods to like electronica and like dance music she said which she are so fun stu- yeah she, in the video she says she studied abroad and had like a spiritual experience with dance music in yeah. Europe yeah and so like yeah her lyrics reflect her, her lyrics have the heart 
and the substance of folk music mm. but the music itself is just like I do you, so you <laughs> I was for some reason I don't know why and I was dumb I'll admit it when you first really got into her you kept telling me you gotta listen to her you gotta listen to her <laughs> you gotta listen to her and I just didn't I would was listening to other stuff yeah and finally I did and do you remember what I texted you after I listened to the album I don't. the first time all the way through? I said, this is as good as modern pop music gets. And I yeah. really believe that. Yeah. Say and it. it's hard to even categorize her as pop necessarily. Right. But yeah. The song Say It yes. was like one of my favorite oh my songs God. of last year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know what else to say. I just... Heard it in I the couldn't past love life. her more. Listen to that. Also, listen to now uh, that the light is fading was her EP. Uh-huh. Before that, I will do a very brief plug for the song "Dog Years" on that EP. Gets me weepy every time. <laughs> okay, and also listen to Melodrama, which was your original yes. pick by Lord. Both great albums by amazing Fantastic women creators. in music. Yeah, I've said this to you before a lot. But, like, in the indie alternative world, the the ladies are ruling right now. Yeah, it's time. Yeah. Like, there are so many amazing women in in that, like, realm of yeah. music right now. There is... I, yeah. I mean, I think there was never, like, a lack of female creators, but now yeah. their attention and efforts are being given the... Yeah. the devotion that they deserve yeah shout out to makes Heim. me really happy shout out Heim, to waxahachie uh, yeah big thief big thief best coast yeah um they're out there uh phoebe bridgers oh, boy genius uh, lucy dawkins julian baker julian baker could yeah. go on and on just yeah the women yeah are are ruling right now in my opinion um, you As well, get they to, should. I know you'll have a lot to say about my <laughs> first Yes, pick. let's dive into it. So, admittedly, I've said this before, there is a lost episode. Um, R.I.P. Regrettably, um, was out of my control, unfortunately. So, this pick I did talk about on that lost episode, but I do want to bring it up on this one. Um maybe my favorite album of all time. Ooh, big claim. It's in the top two or three for sure. One that I'll always remember where I was, like the time of year it was. I remember the day I got the album, blah, blah, blah. Uh, It's Is This It by The Strokes. One of my all-time favorite Mm. bands. Maybe, well, no, The Beatles are my all-time favorite band, but... If you have Strokes. met Nick, this will not come as a surprise. Strokes number two. Yeah. Um, so it's their debut album from 2001, uh, released on July 30th, 2001. Hey, yeah. that was our, that's our mommy's birthday. That's right. I didn't realize that. Um, it's a five-piece. Julian Casablancas is the vocalist. Nick Valenci and Albert Hammond Jr. are the guitarists. Nikolai Nicol- Fratur is the bassist and Fabrizio Moretti is the drummer. They are great from, names all around. Yeah. They're from New York city. Some of them sound like they're from Europe. <laughs> they they're from their ancestors are European, obviously. Um, 
but um, it is widely regarded as one of the best, I think, debuts by a rock band mm. ever, and um, definitely one of the best albums of the first decade of the 2000s, if not the best. Yeah. Um, they are one of the most hyped bands in the history of <laughs> rock and roll, I'd say. Like, NME, the British music magazine, literally like had them on the front cover before the debut album came wow. out and said the the headline was the saviors of rock and roll Damn. so i mean um, they lived up to it they've uh, for a while okay <laughs> well you don't have but to there, there's so much pressure when yeah that happens that's true like, but i mean looking at this and thinking about you know the existence of a book uh, that's at least 300 pages, right? That oh, is, it's longer than that. Yeah, you know, one could say is pretty much about the sound that they created in yeah, this very specific the, time and place. They were the poster voices of that scene. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. their impact is pretty amazing. Yeah, they were definitely one of the most popular, biggest bands of the early 2000s. And I read a piece before we get into the album. I read a piece from The Ringer, which is one of my favorite websites, I think it was The Ringer, about how they've kind of become like, almost like a classic rock band mm. now, where like, they're putting out music every so often, new music, but they, it's like, like a whole new generation is getting into them. Yeah. Rather than the first generation that got into yeah. them, so like... It's been almost 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. So like... 16 year old kids are yeah. now discovering them and so like they're kind of uh, they're kind of like a classic rock band that's just like you know just keeps performing to kind of keep the fans happy a little mm. bit but um, they've definitely gone through some turmoil yeah. but um, let's get into this album um, I <laughs> got this album on spring break nice it was a few years after it had come out i did not i was not into them during you their, were the run of their first 11. two albums <laughs> right um <laughs> their third album first impressions of earth was just about to come out and josh Durrell, my first mm -hmm. guest my best buddy who's been my musical guide he's gotten <laughs> me into a lot of great bands um, was had listened to their first two albums and was like, dude, their third album's coming out soon. You gotta listen to the first two. Um, we were 16. We had just turned 16. Um, Josh had. I was already 16. So it was our <laughs> sophomore year of high school. And um, we went to Vintage Stock. Remember Vintage Stock? I do. Um, which is just like the, a used the old borders yeah used <laughs> cds that comic books that had a bunch of old stuff and we would go in there and buy like cheap used cds yeah that would hopefully work yeah um with the little bit of money that we had and i had also just watched garden state the movie mm -hmm. which heavily features the music of the shins mm -hmm. and so i was like "Ooh, i need to get their music too so i go into a vintage sock i get is this it by the strokes and i get owen Burgett world which is you know new slang and all mm -hmm. the stuff from 
that movie that made the shins famous i get both of those albums on the same day big day big day for nick rattless that day in particular like shaped like my musical taste what it is now yeah and so um just remember listening to this album over and over and over again just makes you feel cool listening to it doesn't it Wait, much much cooler than I will ever Those actually be. Those <laughs> dudes are the coolest dudes I ever saw. Yeah, like the um, Reptilia video. Reptilia is from their second album, but they're just all in like leather jackets, and it's yes. like close-ups on their cool guitars and their like vintage clothes and their like old shoes and stuff. Like yeah. their cool shoes. And it's like a very particular type of cool from like the early aughts that's still like. It's not like the weird emo cool that has aged really poorly. It's, no, it's cool like in a way that's like cool. still cool. Yeah. <laughs> and no, they were like, they kind of started hipster culture in a way. Yeah. I would say. Yeah, that's fair. But like, they, they're they still cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, even, yeah, whatever. Whatever you want to say about hipsters. But like, <laughs> yeah, they, they brought back like the leather jacket, like vintage jeans old adidas or converse or whatever which is hilarious because they come from the most privileged backgrounds yeah they're all rich dudes (laughs) but they hung out in like the lower east side and like the east village and stuff which is like the cool part of yeah new york city um man i'm looking through this track list it's perfect it's just one after another after another Um, yeah let's get to some standout tracks um First off, like the title track, the first, the first track yeah. of the album, is this it? Um, Julian, I, you know, some people, I, I have a love hate relationship with the vocal mm. um, distortion distortion yeah. on this album. Part of it, like I read a review of it of this album when I was first really getting into it and somebody described it like he was talking about last night ha 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 <laughs> which is the name of you know the most popular song on the album but it, like he's like it sounds like he's telling you about what happened at a party last night or at a bar last night over a payphone mm. like in New York City yeah which is like a really cool way to think about it yeah um but also He's like my maybe my favorite voice in rock, like yeah. as far as like actual singing voice, um, and so like just like oh, I mean a lot of the tracks are like he sings, you know, just regularly. But this one, the is this it? The title track um, has like the sort of payphone distortion on it. Um, Nikolai for tours baseline and it is really great mm. and it's just a really cool way to kind of ease into the album yeah um, it doesn't slap you in the face some other way no, there are other tracks but too. it's great yeah. yeah um someday like one of the best yeah. like good time <laughs> songs like to this day like if we're like my buddies and i are just like hanging out drinking beer talking which happens a lot um and we're like passing the auxiliary cord around or like you know just like all right you pick something you pick the next song and we're listening to music 
I'll throw that on, and then everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, the video is them just hanging out at a bar, like, messing yeah. around. It's pure nostalgia yeah. in, like, its best form. I mean, the first line is, in many ways, the, we'll miss the good yeah. old days. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite songs of all time, for sure. Um, do you have any standout tracks? Hard to explain is yeah. like a, I mean, it's high energy, but yeah. it's, I it, mean, it's one of the ones that I think of when I think of the Strokes. It stands out too because it's a little bit different than the rest of the album, yeah. but in a good way that it still fits because like, it has like the drum machine and his voice is again, kind of they messed with it a little bit. Yeah. Um, I also think about the end of that song as like you know it, it really cuts out like on that last line oh yeah I try but you see it's hard to explain and then that's cut the, yeah. yeah um I feel like that's really like representative of of their style at this period at least yeah um yeah they their songs are all pretty short it's like three, yeah three minutes or less and you're out yeah but this it, like it says it's 35 minutes for the whole album yeah um Trying Your Luck is another great one. That I was going to bring that one up. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't give that one credit. Um, and I've talked about this before. Um, it's definitely like a lovelorn song. Yes. Um, Very wistful. Can, yeah. It's, at least to, in my mind, and I don't interpret lyrics the best. <laughs> definitely trying to more. But I believe it is about... He's going into a relationship. He knows it's probably not going to work out, mm. but he really likes the girl and he really wants it to work out. So he's going to try his luck and mm. give it a chance. That's what I think it's about. And for some reason, I don't know who it is because they switch off lead and rhythm guitar. Yeah. But whoever's playing rhythm guitar plays it. I think it's Albert because he's really good at playing like very fast and like rhythmically like da 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 um and just not easy the way to maintain he plays it in that song it kind of sounds like a sad violin to interesting me. yeah which kind of adds to the melancholic tone of the song With, i have never listened to it that way before but next time i do yeah yeah um uh, that yeah that is one of my favorite songs by them and it's like track 10 so it's kind of lost in the shuffle yeah. it's definitely like a slower almost ballad type of song yeah and so it's you know everybody wants someday or last night right. or reptilia or whatever from the strokes but that one definitely julian's lyricism and like emotive quality of his yeah. voice shines through and just it shows that they can be more than just like a fun rock party yeah. yeah there's some soul to it yeah for sure um i just the thing i love the well one of the things i love the most about them is like the ghoul the cool dual guitar sound like the interplay mm. between nick and albert uh is just so cool i mean they're heavily influenced by the velvet underground which had that right and um, they've never really admitted it, but I don't really believe it. There's this band around the same time as the Velvet Underground in the 70s at CBGB, which is like a legendary club in 
New York City, which had like the Talking Heads and a bunch of other like art punk bands called Television, mm. and they had the dual guitar sound as well. Um, and the Strokes definitely sound like they listen to Television. They even mm. said that they were always more Velvet Underground fans, but um, they were definitely influenced by like seventies not exactly punk but like more arty punk punk stuff. adjacent yeah um and they kind of brought that cool back because like every everything you'll read or listen to or watch about the strokes is and if people don't remember if or like if we have younger listeners which i don't think we do <laughs> i think everybody will remember this but by the end of the 90s and like 2000 like the popular music was getting really bad like new metal like limp biscuit and stuff was like popular and corn like that crap and they brought back like being like a cool like regular rock band not this like rap rock crap yeah um and were like really popular like they sold records and stuff um Really? The Strokes sold records? The first, <laughs> yeah. I mean, their popularity as I think, they're not in the public eye as much. They're headlining yeah. a festival in Atlanta this spring. Yeah, I mean, they've got a huge legion of, like, dedicated fans, but, like, they're not, like, mainstream. They were, like, mainstream mm. when these first two albums yeah. came out. Um, so... Yeah, just listen to Is This It? And listen to Room on Fire, too. Mm. Listen to all their music. But the first two albums are like... Chef's Kiss. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I think Is This It, in particular, is damn near perfect. It's a great album. Yeah. Sure. So, in terms of uh, movie or show, um, which was the category offered to me, um, I immediately thought of one that probably people are still aware of because it came out pretty recently. Um, but a movie that I thought was just like close to perfect was Booksmart. Yeah. Um, I came out that movie. I think May of yeah. this year. Um, we actually, I think we went to go see it with our parents when I was we home uh, for a little bit in May. Um, directorial debut by Olivia Wilde, mm-hmm. um, as a lot of people know, um, and starring kind of two, I would say, like breakouts. Yeah, for um, sure. Beanie. Feldstein mm-hmm. and Caitlin Deaver. Um, I had seen each of them and some other stuff. Beanie had been in Lady Bird um, and Caitlin uh, had been in a really good indie movie that I also love um, a few years ago with Brie Larson called Short Term 12. Highly recommend. Yeah. And Devastating. Lakeith Stanfield too. Uh, man. Yes. I love Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah. Um, but hadn't really seen her since then. And so this was kind of a big deal for the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Beanie, Beanie Feldstein also the sister of Jonah Hill. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Talented family. Yeah. Um, much like this family. Yes. So, yeah. Um, a couple of things that I really appreciated about this movie was it, it felt very, like, it felt very 2019. Yeah. In, like, a way that was very unafraid of... Yes. I think a lot of comedy tries to be, like, timeless or, like, tries to not date itself. And that's fine and good. But I also don't think there's anything wrong with, like, just being really into the particular moment that it's in. Right, like the John Hughes movies from the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not to say that, like, everything was a reference to the thing that was popular that week. Because that, you know, that's puts a pretty short window on your jokes. Mm-hmm. But, um... I think the, like, high school culture that they cultivated, like, as someone who was in high school not that long ago, um, was really, like, fun and felt very, like, authentic to, like, the current place that we are in, um, at least that, like, young people are in. Yeah. Um, and so there was just, like, a lot of attention to detail um, in that way that I really enjoyed. Um, like, some of the patches on uh, Caitlin's character's jean jacket or, like, the bumper stickers on her car. Um, little references like that I just thought were really, um, really fun. In the same way, like, the characters were still very, like, recognizable. Like, there wasn't anything that felt, like... I think, I mean, our parents enjoyed it and our parents are in their 60s. Yeah. So, like, it's there a was, very funny movie. It's too. a hilarious film. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's like these high schoolers, uh, if you don't know the movie, um, these two best friends played by Caitlin and Beanie, um, who have, like, devoted all of high school to, um, I mean, their social lives only contain really each other because they focused all their time and energy on getting into great colleges. Um, And then on the last day of school, they find out that all the kids who also partied um, without them, they also got into great colleges. And so they freak out and they realize they have to do all of their high school partying Mm -hmm. in one night before graduation. Great premise. Yeah. Fun. I liken it to a this generation's um, super bad in a way. Yeah. Yeah. That feels, that rings true. Um, So you have all of these characters like in this like high school constellation that are still like really recognizable. Like you have Jared, who's, like, the try-hard, like, really wants everyone to like him, over-the-top kid. You have, like, these two drama kids who are hilarious, who talk about Shakespeare in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. Um, You have, like, the popular bullies who are, like, rude to them during class for no reason. Um, Well, the reason is they're both kind of suck-ups, but... And and a love boy. Um, You have, like, these fun skater kids, like... It's just this really hilarious, like, you know who you those people are. You kid who's, who everybody's cool with. Yeah. Like the long-haired dude <laughs> yeah, yeah, who's yeah. in all the commercials now. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was just, like, a really nice balance of being, like, very modern, but also still, like, very recognizable. Um, and I also just really loved that, like, truly the center of the story is these two best friends 
who are just like so devoted to each other and you could tell like it really came through that those two actors like had a genuine friendship and like became very close they in real life. Honestly, you really reminded me of your friendship with Sarah <laughs> Goldman, your best friend. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, as as someone who did not party in high school, mm-hmm. this felt very relatable. Shout out to Sarah uh, Goldman. Shout out to you. Sarah Goldman. Yeah. Um, it's just like this really beautiful, like fun to watch relationship between these two people who are just like so over the top hilarious and care about each other so much but also really raunchy and really funny yeah Yeah. it's it's great I Um, had not heard of this movie until I think the day before we went uh because we went like pretty early after it came out right yeah and so I didn't know at all what to expect I knew Olivia Wilde had directed it, and I knew, like, Jason Stakis, who's her husband. Right. Um, he's a, he's He has a cameo as yeah, their high school and, principal. Like, Jessica Williams was in it. Yep. But I didn't really know what to expect, and I love this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it completely took me by surprise, and, yeah, it was one of the, I think, one of the, like, biggest and best surprises of a movie I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... It sounds kind of cliche, but it's, I mean, it's just, like, incredibly funny the whole way through, but also, like, there's something very authentic about it at the center. There's a lot of heart, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which are the best Yeah, it's very, it's very tender. Um, So, a couple other things I really love about this movie, the soundtrack is so good. Mm -hmm. And just, like, perfectly curated for every scene. Um, And Olivia Wilde has talked a little bit uh like on her twitter instagram um about how she chose those songs and like what she wanted them to convey for particular parts of the film um and i really appreciated also like like i said this was her directorial debut and she has spoken a lot and really candidly about what being a director was like um how she made the choices she did how much she invested in the film um and i think all of that Again, like that attention to detail really comes Definitely through. Definitely shows, yeah. Um, some of the artists on the soundtrack. Oh, so good. Uh, um, like Lizzo's on there. Yeah. Uh, Leaky Lee. Uh, There's a Rah Rah Riot song. There's yeah. a Santa Gold song. Yes. There's some Perfume Genius. Yeah. Um,. There's some... Push it by Salt and Pepper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Anderson Pock. Yeah. Yeah, it's just really good and diverse. And yes. Works um, perfectly with the movie. A great soundtrack. All the way through. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just... It's super fun. It's not especially heavy, um, but it is, like... It is genuinely heartwarming, I think. Mm. Um, there are a couple heartbreaking moments in there, yeah. but... Yeah, you recover. Just, yeah, yeah. There's always a there's another there's another joke waiting around the corner. Um, Mike O'Brien's in this movie too with the very creepy role. He was oh, on SNL for yeah, this yeah, yeah, season. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. There are just like all of these. There's so many great plot lines that. and so many great jokes and throughout. Will Forte. Will Forte and 
Lisa yes. Kudrow are phenomenal in it too. Yes, they play uh, Caitlin's character's parents. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, top to bottom, great movie. Uh, I know it's on Amazon Prime. I think it might be on Hulu, but check yeah, it out. It's Shell great. out a few bucks for it too. You yeah. will not be disappointed that you did that. Real, real yeah. fun. Yeah. All right. Anything else on that? No, I don't think so. We got for our last picks. We gotta kind of get them out a little quickly because we spent so much time on music. <laughs> but um, I'm gonna talk about a film as well. Great. <laughs> Uh, deserves to be called a film, not a movie. All right. <laughs> uh, it's one of the best movies I've ever seen um, by my, f- my favorite director. Um, Martin Scorsese. No. <laughs> it is There Will Be Blood by oh. Paul Thomas Anderson, starring Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm not going to have a whole lot to say here because this is not one that it's the okay. old hand dog has you seen. You should watch it. Um, it is a very long watch. Pack a lunch. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it's one of those movies where it's the scale of it is so grand that you can't believe like somebody directed it. Mm. Like, Give me a tiny, tiny plot synopsis. Uh, so Daniel Plainview, played by Daniel Day-Lewis, um, is a silver prospector in New Mexico in 1898, and he, um... Pretty cushy job. Yeah, he's mining, and he falls down and breaks his leg into a hole. Nightmare. Yeah, and... Uh, while he's down there, he strikes an oil vein. Ooh. And, um... His oh, life no, no, gets... Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He finds a silver sample, and, um, with that, he, you know, accrues some money to become an oil man. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. And then he moves to California to start finding oil. And so, like, one of the opening scenes is just, like, this vast shot of, like, the California desert Mm. and all these guys, like, mining for oil. And they strike oil, like, a ton of it. And so Daniel Plainview goes from being, you know, from having a little bit of money from finding the silver and gold that he found from prospecting mm-hmm. to becoming an oil tycoon. Yeah. And, it and is, uh, more money, more problems, yes. I would guess. And then he uh, adopts um, the orphan son of a man who dies uh, working okay. for him, um, who is a deaf boy named uh, J.W. Okay. Uh, and, or H.W. And... Um, then they eventually go to a town where a small town where they think oil is they're trying to buy up all the land and the uh, preacher who is kind of the one of the you know the significant people in the town played Mm -hmm. by paul dano who's phenomenal in it him he plays twins actually he plays the priest or the pastor Uh and he plays the brother um and the pastor will not 
he, he implores the people not to give up uh, the land. And so there's this back and forth hmm. uh, between Paul Dano and Daniel Nicholas. And it is some of the best acting I think you'll see of the last 20 years. Hmm. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis, like he has been known to do, completely embodies this character. He, he was completely method on the set, so he never broke character, even when the cameras weren't rolling, mm-hmm. which is terrifying because Daniel Plainview is a scary man. Mm-hmm. Um, it just deals with a lot of a lot of issues. Daniel Plainview kind of goes from be, being a good man to slowly descending mm-hmm. into greed and mm-hmm. madness, and it, it deals it's a lot. It's an with, ethical compromise. Deals story. a lot with greed and family ties, and you know. What makes you love it? Is it the acting? Is it it's the writing? All of it. Um, I mean, it's very, it's extremely well written. Um, it's just like the the, the directing of it. Um, it they lit- it just literally takes you back to the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. Uh, I remember those days. Um, or, or like brings you. It, it's yeah, one of those that brings immersive. you into that. Um, and then like he won best actor. Daniel Day Lewis won best actor, and it is just like a superlative performance by him it's just it's it's everything about it is just and it makes you it definitely makes you think about all the issues it brings up Mm. about a man you know having greed completely take him over and becoming a terrible person cool yeah (laughs) I mean, it's not that. It's it's kind of the opposite of the book smart. Yeah, book smart, but um, it is an achievement in filmmaking. I hmm. think uh, the score by Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead, nice, who uh, collaborates with Paul Thomas Anderson very closely on all of his scores. I think this was the first one he did, and in my opinion, it's the best of the I've still not have seen Phantom Thread which I can't believe I haven't um and he did that one too but um in my mind of the scores that I've heard from Johnny Greenwood on PTA movies this one is the best it definitely works with the movie very very well and a lot of times kind of puts you on edge Hmm. which I think it's meant to do um it's yeah it's about three hours so um <laughs> it's an afternoon right there uh two and a half two two forty yeah. um so yeah just give it a watch it's one of the best films of the 21st century i, I would say cool yeah noted yeah um do you want to get to our last picks sure got about 10 to 15 minutes okay um, yeah, so I brought a book to the table, okay. which I think I have recommended to <laughs> most people that I know. Um, but, you know, who knows who's listening to this? Maybe sure. I haven't told you about this book yet. Um, this is a book called The Empathy Exams. 
um, by Leslie Jameson. Uh, it came out in 2014. Um, it is a book of essays. Um, she has written um, sort of like pseudo-journalistic memoir type uh, work. It's nonfiction. Um, and she has um, another novel called uh, The Gin Closet. Um, and then she came out with a book um, called The Recovery, which I think was about her battle with addiction. Um, but this is the one that I've read and um, really, really has stuck with me is Empathy Exams. Um, so a few years ago, um, I was doing an internship at uh, our church here at home, actually, um, and was working in the pastoral care department, um, which involves a lot of like working with people who are in really fragile, like vulnerable places. Um, and I got a reading list from my mentor, supervisor, Jenny McDevitt, um, and included in that list was um, this book. Um, so it took me admittedly a while to finish it. Um, I think by the, the time my summer internship was over, I hadn't wrapped it up yet. Um, but the good thing about this book is, like I said, it's a collection of essays. So it's very like manageable. Each one's pretty bite-sized. So um, it's not, you know, super arduous to work through. Um, so the premise of this book is um, Leslie Jameson was getting work um, as, I guess you would call it an actor um, for uh, soon-to-be doctors who were about to take their um, final exams and finish med school who had to um, essentially like practice diagnosing patients huh. um, and so she was paid like not a lot but given a script um, to work from to like describe what was wrong um, and you know give these subtle cues to something larger that could be a problem in the patient's life. Um, and then she would meet with the doctor. They would pretend that she was in, um, you know, a real medical setting with them. They would diagnose her. And then afterward, she would review how empathetic they were. Um, huh. That's not traditionally... It hasn't always been a great skill of doctors, this bedside manner no. and empathy. Um, but that got her thinking about... Um, other ways that people empathize with one another um and so she again uses this combination of memoir and journalism um and she goes through i want to say like maybe 10 um different scenarios and like communities that she's encountered um she does one where she like goes to it's not tough mutter but it's like one of those like crazy extreme obstacle course it's not even an obstacle course it's just like the wilderness oh. um and she interviews those people about like why they want to do this kind of thing um she's also very vulnerable herself um she's like presenting other people's wounds but every time that she does that she also like volunteers her own so she talks about this really traumatic experience she had when she was a tourist she got mugged um, and she was alone. She talks about um, 
when she was younger and um, had an abortion and talks about these really vulnerable things in a pretty poignant way. Um, and the final essay um, in the book is about um, like social expectations surrounding femininity, at least in the Western world, um, and the expectations of women to endure pain. Um, and it's that essay alone is worth buying the book for my money. Um, it is one of the things that I've read that has stuck with me the most over the years. And I find it, um, a real feat. Um, so I just think it's, it's good educational reading for people who want to understand compassion and, and think about, um, what it means to care for others. Um, and I know that's kind of showing, you know, my own soon to be profession. Um, that's a big focus and the, the things that I'm supposed to think about. Thank you. Um, so maybe it's more interesting to me for that reason, but I think, you know, if you're a human being, you should be interested in empathizing with other people. It's a great book. What's it called again? The empathy exams by Leslie Jameson. Check that out. It sounds like a very interesting read and yeah definitely um we need more compassion yes for sure i am in agreement there (laughs) (laughs) um okay so for my pick i because it's my show and i can do what i want (laughs) i am going to talk about two things cool well you talked about two things i I sure did i'm going to talk about two podcasts Nobody's ever talked about podcasts, and I'm a huge podcast fan, obviously, because I'm doing one myself. (laughs) Here we are. But I also listen to a lot of awesome podcasts, and so I'm going to hip people to two of them. Great. Um, So I haven't talked about this on the podcast yet, but I am a big Dungeons & Dragons player. Well, well, well. Shout out to Tony Thompson. (laughs) Shout out to Andrew. Shout out to Tom. Shout out to Joel. uh, Shout out to Sean. Shout out to new father, Sean McCarthy. And Wendy, his lovely wife. And little Desmond. Welcome to the world. Welcome to the world, Desmond. I can't wait to meet you, man. Um, That is my D&D group, though. Those guys that I shouted out. Um, But this podcast... The Adventure Zone mm. by the McElroy family. Mm-hmm. Um, I started list. I th- don't think we had started quite playing yet, but it was definitely something that kind of nudged us to actually start playing. That in the first season of Stranger Things, yes, when they were playing D anD D, and me and my buddies There's were all been like, a renaissance. Yeah, me and my buddies were all like, we should give it a shot because Tom, our who was our first DM, had played. Um, a lot before, but none of us. Uh, what what great person told you about this show? My sister oh, Hannah. Wow. So uh, if you don't know who the McElroys are, um, they have another podcast that you may have heard of. It's called My Brother, My Brother and Me. Um, it's with Justin, Travis, and Griffin, uh, who are three brothers, uh, who are how would you describe? They're not like. They don't do they're, like stand up or improv they're entertainers. comedy. Yeah, they're entertainers. <laughs> they do a lot of different stuff. Uh, Justin and Griffin used to write for a video game wa- website mm-hmm. called Polygon, is like their day job. But now they're basically just like 
podcasting and going, going on tour with their shows yeah. and stuff. So that one's pretty much a strictly comedy it's podcast. It's an advice-based comedy podcast. The premise is advice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, then they, they branched out with the their, their dear zone. old dad. And yeah, uh, which includes their dad, Clint McElroy. And the first season, they are now in the third main season of the show. The first season is Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. as is the newest one, mm-hmm. the third one. They branched off to a different game in the second one. Um, but the first one is called the Balance Arc mm-hmm. or Balance Campaign. And that one I particularly want to talk about because the storytelling that they end up producing just from playing a game yeah. is extraordinary. Yes. They really, like, it could be a novel, like a great fantasy novel. Mm-hmm. Um, their characters are Mag- Magnus Burnsides, mm-hmm. uh, which is Travis's uh, character, who's a fighter, so he's just, like, a guy with an axe <laughs> who just, like, chops people. Uh, <laughs> uh no like magical qualities or anything um and taco mm-hmm. yes taco um is justin's uh wizard elf wizard mm-hmm. and um merle high church mm-hmm. is a dwarf cleric so like a healer slash man of god man of <laughs> god of like a <laughs> mythical god yeah, yeah. Um, and Griffin is the dungeon master, like the, the game master. Mm-hmm. He like runs the game, tells the story, presents all the problems, puzzles, enemies they have to fight, blah, 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 for them to get past. I um, think it's crazy. They really started that on a whim. Yes. And, and it's it was very clearly, jokey and sophomoric yeah, to start The with. beginning is like... I mean, it's fun to listen to at the beginning because yeah. they're clearly just like goofing off and having yes. a great time. Yeah. But by the end of it, they've like it invested so much into this like different thing. Yeah. yeah. They really the build a world. The whole thing is really staggering. Um, and the thing, but the thing I love the most about it is it's a family who you can tell really love each other. Mm-hmm playing a game and like connecting through that they all live in different places well justin and clint live in west virginia where they're from Mm -hmm. originally but griffin lives in texas and travis lives cincinnati Cincinnati. and they like get on like skype or something to play and record Mm -hmm. each week but it's such like the familial bond and like everything just really shines through yeah um and that's the heart of the podcast i think especially balance and like they the guys who are the the pcs the player characters so clint justin and travis definitely put some of their own personality into oh totally each of their characters and so that's really fun to see as well and griffin is just an incredible storyteller. Yeah. Like the first arc, so like first chapter basically of the story is like the uh, is like a pre-written Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. book that you can buy, which is the first one that we did as a group. Mm-hmm. I think the first one that everybody does as a group. Um, 
and so we were kind of we were we were definitely playing as I was listening to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they couldn't really put in put as much of their own personality into that one. But after that, Griffin started writing his mm-hmm. own arcs to the story, his own chapters to the story, and they go to all different kinds of worlds, and it all comes together in this amazing way mm-hmm. at the end. And yeah, there's a very satisfying conclusion. Yes. Yeah. Um, so listen to the Adventure Zone. Listen to all of it. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the second season, not as much as Balance. And I so far they've released, they've gone back to D and D in the third season, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, they've only released two episodes as of this recording for that one. Um, but yeah, just a lot of heart. A lot of great storytelling. Yeah. Tons of laughs. I mean, they're, they're, it's a comedy podcast, first and foremost. So um, they get into a lot of hilarious situations, as happens in D&D. Mm-hmm. And these guys are all very funny. Um, and, yeah, it's just phenomenal. So The Adventure Zone, mm-hmm. listen to it. Highly recommend. And then finally, um, just quickly... Um, think by the time this is released we will have released uh sort of a side series to the podcast called sportsy stuff (laughs) i'm a huge sports fan don't really get much into sports um on this main part of the podcast but we will on the sportsy stuff side series so listen to that uh micah shuley my good buddy uh and i talked about our favorite sports documentaries in the first episode so definitely listen to that um, but I wanted to recommend a great sports podcast. I listen to a lot of sports podcasts, um, and this might be one of the best I've heard. Um, it is by Bill Simmons of The Ringer, formerly of Grantland, formerly of ESPN, who, as a media person, media personality, um, is just an enormous influence on me. I've been reading his stuff since he was at ESPN, which was like 2005 or four, maybe he was the first podcast I ever listened to the BS report when he was at ESPN, um, made me fall in love with listening to podcasts, like the format of it and everything, Mm -hmm. how it's different from radio, all of that good stuff. Um, and then the ringer, which is the website he currently owns. They have their own, huge podcast network with I don't know how many podcasts a ton of which I listen to which are huge influences on me it's also my favorite website to read Um, he wrote a book I think in 2007 don't quote me on that called the book of basketball he's a giant NBA fan um, and he wrote the premise of the book is basically the secret to winning basketball and how the history of the league every player coach throughout the league has you know whether they've found the secret whether they haven't and then he goes into uh, a whole bunch of like lists which i love with sports like he goes through like each nba mvp i think of all time and whether they should have won that year or if they shouldn't have who should have won and then he ranks every player that should he 
he well first he says like how the hall basketball hall of fame should be reconstructed as like a pyramid pantheon pyramid and how like each tier is like a different tier of guy so like the top of the pyramid should be like the top 10 players of all time so he ranks players that way and so for non-sports fans um with like the Golden State Warriors basically the last handful of years they re-revolutionized basketball the, with the way that they played and completely changed how everybody else played with a lot of three-point shooting there's been a lot of like in-depth stats like um, sabermetric sort of stuff which completely changed how teams operate and so the book be kind of came outdated and Bill Simmons admits that. And so Bill Simmons doesn't really write anymore. Just as a choice, he mostly just podcasts. And so this podcast is uh, called The Book of Basketball 2.0. And so it is a revision of that book since the league has changed so much um, and kind of reconfiguring how guys should be looked at within, you know, the rest of all the past guys, like, getting into the Hall of Fame, you know, where they should fit into, like, all-time rankings of players, um, how, you know, it, uh, there's an in-depth conversation with Steve Kerr, who is the coach of the Golden State Warriors, who are, you know, we're a dynasty, um, and completely changed the game, uh, kind of, um, he there's one about Shaq and like <laughs> you know his legacy and how he fits into the Hall of Fame like like you know where he fits into the greatest of all time. Do you think the book is required reading if you listen to the podcast, or can they be separate? They can be separate, I think, especially just how much the NBA has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, the book is kind of outdated it's still a great read Mm -hmm. people should read it a lot of it still holds true but the way that we look at basketball with these like advanced statistics Mm -hmm. now and the way that it's played completely differently than it ever has been um it's it's changed a lot so it's good that he's going back revising it looking at the big picture of the history of the league from where we are now since where we are now is like outer space compared to how basketball was played before kind of like a basketball in outer space like space jam kind of everybody get up yeah just just slam yeah welcome to the jam welcome to the jam but anyway yeah um I'm sorry, I don't have a lot of real no, knowledge no, no, to contribute no. <laughs> on this subject. <laughs> but great Space Jam reference. Thank you. But um, a lot of the people he interviews and just some of the subjects he talks about. Another great thing is they look they look back at um, some of the defining games of the 21st century. He does this podcast. It's a movie podcast on the Ringer Network called The Rewatchables, where they rewatch movies. And this was is like a sports rewatchables. Um, so they look back and kind of put the game, these important like playoff games, basically into context of how it 
change the league going forward after it. Um, so yeah, just it's the best, definitely the best basketball podcast I've listened to. Um, it's just so in depth and so smart, mm. and the people he talks to are also so smart um, about basketball. Bill Simmons just gets the NBA. He just he's one of the smartest NBA guys out there, uh, media people out there. Aside from me, yeah. So the book of basketball 2.0 on the Ringer Podcasting Network. Also, just listen to all the Ringer Podcast Networks. They have pop culture stuff. They have a lot of sports uh, podcasts. Anything, anything you want, really. They have one called binge, binge Mode where they get into, into like really nerdy pop culture stuff, Harry Potter and Star Wars and Game all, of Thrones, Game of Thrones yeah. all kinds of stuff. So listen to that. Read, watch, listen to all of our picks. Mm. That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, I don't think I did it last episode because we were pressed for time, but thanks to Raz who made the awesome music for the podcast from YouTube. Definitely. Um, want to try to thank him every episode. No, I've never met the guy. <laughs> Only briefly messaged with him on, you, on YouTube. Yeah, thank you. I love that music. I've gotten a lot of great compliments about that music. Um, it's a great intro outro to the show thanks to sheldon adams my good buddy who made the uh the art the logo for the show um another big part of the show as far as you know an aesthetic Mm. for what the show is um thanks to my guest hannah ratliff thank you you want to plug anything else before we go gosh uh, creative on instagram yeah if you want to follow that what's your regular instagram uh i think it's h underscore ratliff 25 and then some good you know hambone on twitter yeah um some some jokes thank you so much for coming on this was really special yeah i'm glad uh so we're recording this during the thanksgiving holiday week and um this will probably come out sometime in december maybe close to christmas i have no idea um but um i'm glad we got you in here to do an episode while you're home yeah um so yeah uh rate like subscribe the podcast follow us on social media instagram and facebook and uh we'll talk to you next time thanks for listening bye bye